nobody talks to people who play fourth edition. Someone nobody, find no. people who play fourth edition. Talk to they them. Exist. They exist. I know that they do, but we don't. We don't speak to them. Hello and welcome back to House of Bards after a that's a extended hiatus, perhaps. I mean, yeah. Like I know, I know that we said that we wouldn't like keep making excuses here, but there's a difference between like not having a reliable update schedule and not posting an episode for six fucking months. Yeah. So, real briefly, <laughs> before we get onto the episode, here is what happened. The Matt episode, you may have noticed, has a couple of edits in it, in it where what we are saying seemingly doesn't, like, like c- internally consistently makes sense, but shifts heavily from, like, topic to topic. That is because all of Matt's audio got corrupted, which meant that I had to take all of the little, like, tiny chunks that Audacity keeps audio in, like, internally while it's figuring stuff out, put those together in order find out which ones were corrupted and make editing decisions to cut the bits that like didn't make sense because his audio wasn't there, and then mix the entire thing with my audio and stereo and his in mono because that's all that it like, actually saved in. And also I went back to university and for a long time I was like, this episode is going to take so long to edit and I do not have, like, I can't justify doing that instead of like actually getting an education. Yes. Um, and I think on my part as well, I... I still have ongoing technical difficulties with my computer. It's a little bit better now, but it's not fixed. But also, I recently got a new job, and I'm very tired all the time because of it. Because it's a shit job, so. <laughs> so it'd be um, like that sometimes. Anyway, we are House of Bards. Yeah. If you haven't listened before, we are ostensibly a podcast about role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons, but mostly. We go off on massive tangents about mm. comic books or Magic the Gathering or Steven Universe or wrestling sometimes. Uh, I would say also, <laughs> if you've not listened to the podcast before, um, please please listen to our back catalogue. I promise that it starts getting good around about episode three. Um, enjoy this episode and maybe don't expect another one for a while. I have like a topic that I really want to do, but it's like ultimately going to depend on how much like time and shit we actually have to... Yeah. Make make content, which currently isn't a huge amount. Um, but having just finished editing the Matt episode for however much it actually is edited, there was a point where I was like, this is never going to get out of the door unless I just commit to making it an hour and a half long. Um, I was like, hey, I want to do the episode that Beth has been talking about wanting to do for a while now, today, to feel good about myself. So we're going to do that, and... Beth's going to lead me here because I like. There's a lot to talk about in this topic, but I don't yeah. know exactly where she's going with it. No, we're yeah. going to talk about combat, combat and violence, which is a very weird thing to talk about on a podcast that is ostensibly about like the much more wishy-washy roleplay side of role-playing games. Yeah, but like as any part, if you are playing Dungeons and Dragons, eventually you are going to have to contend with combat because, firstly, there are players that really like combat. As well as liking mm-hmm. the role-playing bit. And then there are some players who do prefer the combat bit. And you've got to make it fun for them as well. But also, you need to have some inherent hook in your story. You need to have them to be some stakes at some point in the story. Absolutely. And moreover, when you play a game like Dungeons & Dragons, um, 
a lot of the character development that belies the the heroes that you're playing comes from i mean they're almost superheroes aren't they they are yeah it's like you you know the idea i suppose in dungeons and dragons is that level one you start off as a little baby traveler who's maybe just got some basic knowledge in in magic or fighting and then you know you get to level 20 and you are like a legendary almost godlike mm. sort of old style greek norse hero like in some cases literally godlike if like your campaign ends and you ascend exactly some DM. yeah nonsense it's just the, but the, the point is the point is that you kind of have to have combat like as part of that equation somewhere because like that's, that's well that's D D's main reward system it's not just that it's D's main reward system but also there's no like um how do I describe this? there's no justification for the heroic milieu mm. of like the characters that you're playing in general unless we get to see them like act like do do these like heroic combative things Mm. And I mean, it, it's part of the fact that Dungeons and Dragons, at the end of the day, it's a game, you know, like... Yeah. And I'm not but saying... Not all, not all I'm not saying games like... are inherently violent, but games are inherently goal-orientated, you know. Um, and it's just that in Dungeons and Dragons, the people who designed it, Gary Gygax, when he made it, he decided that that was going to be the main way to reward players would be from surviving encounters, well, it makes sense because um, Dungeons and Dragons, um, from the chainmail rules before it, like grew out of wargaming. So I think that was always fated to happen. Absolutely. And then once role playing gaming as as a concept began to exist, the idea of taking it to places where combat was framed differently, at the very least, were was considered. Because mm. what I thought would be interesting here is to say that the framework that basically all editions of Dungeons and Dragons use for combat is ultimately a very robust and contained framework exactly for yeah. understanding how th- that combat will happen that combat will happen frequently and that mm. characters will expect that combat will happen frequently and will need to like recover from it mm. so that's why in Dungeons and Dragons you have like the um, the concept of the, the of hit points and the, there's healing magic and, and and stuff like that and, and mm. other ways to like you know rest up and, and, and yeah. Heal. And even the idea that like a core group, a core D and D group, has to have a healing unit in there. It has to have a unit dedicated to healing the group. You know, you can't. Yeah, you can't but have... for example, um, I pulled down like a whole load of non D and D source books here, uh-huh. and uh, I've got uh, Traveller open here at uh, Mongo's Traveller, so page sixty, where it talks about combat. Um, and the first thing I'm noticing here is that the combat system has a number of moving parts here, but it is significantly simpler than mm. really any edition of D&D. And moreover, the consequences of even getting into combat are like significantly um, more severe. Yeah. Like, bad things happen to you. But for instance, um, what, what I'm trying to say is, in Dungeons & Dragons, for instance... Um, not all versions of D&D like, had things like 5e has like death saving throws or whatever. But let's say that you dropped a one hit point in Dungeons & Dragons. That's bad, but you shouldn't expect that it will never happen. Yeah. And moreover, you shouldn't expect that you won't be able to like recover with the aid of 
healing magic or just rest in some cases. Yeah, which um, is like crazy, really. But like that's yeah. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll we'll reel we'll wheel back around to magic and how yeah. like in, terrifying in trouble, it actually is in Dungeons and Dragons in a minute. But oh yeah, okay, that's 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 cool to talk about. Yeah, I'm down for that. Point is, what I'm reading here in Traveller is damage is inflicted directly on a target's endurance, which is one of the stats that you have that is used for other things. Like you actively take injury from being in combat that has a much more severe and less temporary effect on your character because the system by and large doesn't want you to get into meaningless combat like that's not what mm. traveler is about and i think that yeah. um of the three source books i have here i would think that mage is probably going to be the most severe about this because a lot of the time in mage you're playing like people in the real world who yeah don't get into like fights because you get arrested but even like Call of Cthulhu as well is is pretty strict about how like yeah. combat is totally a thing that you can do because there's going to be times when you have to fight stuff, but it affects you as opposed to like it, it affects your person directly as opposed to like a bucket of points that are derived from your statistics as a person directly. Exactly. I'll have to, you know, I've got Werewolf the Apocalypse here. I haven't mm. given it a good read through cover to cover yet. So I'm actually going to... No, but if you look in, like, the contents, it'd be like, mm, yeah. maybe there's a bit where it mentions combat. <sighs> System and drama, maybe? System and drama. Why not? 242. But I am, I am led to believe that Werewolf is slightly more combat-orientated than other World of Darkness games. It, it, I it, believe it, that is the case, yes. It wants you to have a fight. It wants you to have a good time. Um, taking actions, taking damage, drama, the delirium, the curse. Healing? Yeah, Werewolves heal at an incredibly fast pace. Agaru regenerates her worst bashing or lethal. Health level every turn. Hominid or lupus breed guru can regenerate health level each day while in their natural form. So basically it's like, it's fine. Normal humans take damage much of the same things well do, but humans are much less resilient. So basically, if you rest for a bit, you'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be but that's, right. that's still That's still different because that's yeah. like, werewolves fight the same way that other entities in the world of darkness fight, but they are yeah. expected to fight that way and it's supposed to be brutal. Yeah. Whereas in D&D, it's like, combat is like just a fact of life it's going to happen yeah. to you a lot so there aren't really any lasting consequences of being in combat itself yeah whereas but, the whole point in werewolf yeah. is that like you heal those consequences because you're a werewolf yeah and, and that, that's a real good point i think you know a lot of the time you know like a lot of gamers treat violence with a lot of weight whereas D doesn't and i often find myself both as a player sometimes and as a dm and this isn't anyone's fault I have to find myself as a DM going, how can I spice up this vi this incredibly violent encounter the players are going to have? When by its nature, mm. violence should be a bit spicy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a fight yeah. of life and, life and death and it's just not really in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, go, oh, how can I add a different element to this? What will make this combat encounter different from other ones I've done before. And sometimes as a player, you're like, oh, here we go again. Here's some goblins to just, like, tear through. Or here's a fight to do before we get onto the big fight or whatever. You know, you're like, oh, okay. And not not that necessarily it's boring or it's dull or you don't want to do that. It's just that you're like, oh, okay, we're going into combat again. You know. And sometimes... 
and sometimes I often find myself like especially when you listen to real play shows sometimes not all of them but especially the ones that maybe but you know even some you wouldn't expect sometimes like oh they're doing combat now I'm just gonna zone out for a minute and then you stop listening for a bit and you're like wait I'm in characters dead what like <laughs> uh, I've been listening to Critical Role recently and while I think that actually the way that Matt Mercer like manages combat is extremely like it, it it's quite competent in like yeah. compared yeah. to some of the ways that I've seen him doing doing that. Um, especially for the number of players that he has, like the way that he yeah. asks for initiative in like five tick blocks. Yeah. Um seems inefficient, but is actually like good because it keeps the, the actual like um, speed of the game going. Yeah. But a lot of the time I'm like, you know, I guess I'll start paying attention again when the combat's finished. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes you get dragged back into it somehow. I think, especially Critical Role, watching it with the minis and stuff like that and watching them do their thing and when, you know, but like I do have to force myself to pay attention sometimes during combat because I'm like, this will be over soon and it will probably be okay. Like, you know. It, it depends um, obviously on the comp, the comp, the, I keep wanting to say contact, I mean complexity, the complexity yeah. of the combat because if it's just Vox Machina or the Mighty Nine have to like fight this thing in order to then not be fighting it and continue with what they're doing. Like, that's kind of boring to watch. If it's, this is, like, an important combat and not only is exactly. there, like, fighting happening, but also there's going to be inter-character stuff and probably a lot of moving around and, like, weird strategy going on in the combat. That's a lot more interesting because there's a lot more of the characters that bleeds into, like, yeah. the, the combat actually being done, which is, I think, the problem that D&D faces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if that if that makes any sense at all. Uh, yeah, I get you, yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's like the meat of what we should talk about. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, you know, we very often you do find yourself being, you know, spicing up, but by its nature, combat is spicy. Yeah. But I definitely think as a player um, and as a DM, it's a good idea to inject things like, oh, can I do this? I think it's really cool. Like, uh, when the Adventure Zone was first starting out, and stuff like that. Magnus is played... I want to say Travis, but I get Travis... Magnus is played by Travis, yes. Keep going. Yeah. A lot of, right, I'm going to get so much shit for that. I do know who all of the individual McElroy brothers are. <laughs> and yet somehow, despite listening to them, you don't know that their name is McElroy. Yeah. I just get Justin, Justin and Travis's names mixed up sometimes. Okay. Their names? That's their like names. the one thing that you shouldn't get mixed up about them. I know. They I'm otherwise sorry. sound very similar, and it is only by virtue of having grown a beard that Travis doesn't look like Justin. I know, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? I'm not good with names. Anyway. Please please don't send Beth hate mail. It's not that she doesn't deserve it, it's just that I have to moderate the YouTube Look! <laughs> anyway. So, but Travis will often go, oh, can I make Magnus do this insane feat of like coolness mm. and griffith's like yeah gone and i think that's really cool and lately i've with my characters i've tr been trying to do slightly more crazy shit also you know because i think that that's interesting rather than just stand there and fire off spells all the time i like the idea of you know recently one of my characters mal dived into 
the the maw of a beast, held it open with a stick, and dragged um, Maxie's character, um, Shearsa, out. And I, like, that was a really cool moment in that game. It was a really memorable bit of the first session, and everyone was like, that was really cool. And I'm like, and I did that, and Matt let me do that. That was really cool. You know? Yeah, and I think the thing about D&D is that a lot of the time the problem with doing stuff like that in combat is, especially when you're just embellishing what would otherwise basically be an attack, hmm. there's no... The game very quickly becomes unbalanced if you start adding mechanical consequences for the cool things that your players want to do, which is discouraging for them. Yeah. And I think that's just a weakness that D&D has compared to some other games. Yeah. Because it treats combat as so rote and also as so fundamental to how progression works in the system, you can't like I'm trying to think of like what like a good example is here. But um for instance, let's say you have a ranger with a bow and an arrow. And the ranger says, uh, I want to blind this manticore with arrows, like shoot two arrows into its head. I know that it's sufficiently healthy and its head is sufficiently big that blinding it with arrows probably won't kill it, but I want to do that anyway because then it will make it harder for it to, to see us. Now your DM could totally say, okay, um, you know, make it make an attack roll and do that, or your DM could say, well that's, the, that's a very small target comparatively to hit, so I'll let you do that only if you crit, for instance. Mm. Or your DM can say, I can't give you the opportunity to attack specific body parts on this monster because that sets a standard for being able to do it on any monster that has eyes and blinding the creature is just way too powerful in the system for you to be allowed to do. And I think that's the problem is that that, that was a cool idea and also probably something that you would actually do. Yeah. And it's like the DM has to make a decision about whether to allow you to do this cool thing, whether to allow you to do this cool thing provided you do something equally mechanically cool or to just say no because then that like sets it sets a standard for just you being able to cheese every monster yeah and which i think defeats the point of the game i'd i'd be one who's like okay but you have to crit like you have to like hmm. that, that's where i'd be i'd be in like the middle ground they're like yeah but only if you like crit you know can you do it because that is cool and you get to do something cool as a payoff and very often the player goes oh i crit i guess that means nothing and you're like yeah i guess it does right but if you're like going no i'm gonna pay it forward you know sometimes maybe something yeah. over a 20 should be fucking cool i'm just saying <laughs> sometimes, sometimes uh, one of the things i one of the things I particularly like about fifth edition is that it gives us a whole load of I don't want to say that 5th edition gives us more tools than previous editions because the amount of unnecessary crunch in 3.5 is sort of testament to the fact that not only is that not true, it's also not necessarily a good thing. Mm. I think 5th edition gives us a lot of tools to work with on the fly, which is actually really important for keeping the pace of the game going. And it's very helpful because you could say, for instance, um, okay you're trying to shoot out the manticore's eyes, um, you could say, rather than have that be an attack roll, because you're trying to like do a specific thing that will have consequences for it later on, it's like, okay, so make... 
uh, like what kind of check would you say? And then you could you could you could like make it like a a a check, or you could say, well, this is an attack roll, but you have disadvantage because rather than trying to harm the beast in general, you're trying to like hit a specific part of it to disable it. Advantage and disadvantage are great tools for this because you can apply them yeah. and and like take them away and like cancel them out with all sorts of stuff. Inspiration as well is a very good um, thing for like paying forward your player's ability to like alleviate problems with a bad situation where they're just like well okay um i'm gonna use the inspiration that i have and uh give myself advantage and then you're like okay so now kind of makes makes more sense that like this might happen which it might so i enjoy those tools because they help with like putting a bit of a limit on what your players can do while still allowing them to work in a way that isn't just grinding combat like in an MMO. Yeah. And previous editions would do that, but because they would do it primarily through things like um, numerical bonuses and penalties on rolls, it meant that you had to do a lot more thinking as a DM to as to like, well, like what what's appropriate as like a, a bonus or a penalty for what this person is trying to do, you know? Hmm. I always think it. And I think, it's yeah. yeah. I think another way, apart from that's just like on a mechanical level, but on a descriptive level to spice up combat, let your players, you know. Oh no, you absolutely can like just say stuff to. Yeah, be like. Like descriptively spice up combat. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and you know, just get a bit more descriptive, get it out. And if that's not your forte, that's fine. Most of your players will be very forgiving of it. Let's face it, you're not exactly doing a live show in front of thousands of people. On a weekly basis, um, so yeah, but yeah, get get descript- descriptive. You know when, you know, I I I'm very keen on my gory death descriptions for like you know enemies and stuff. Like, I like that shit. I'm really into it. Um, mm-hmm. I know not everyone is, but I you know like I think if you kill someone, you need to be like, this is what happened. This was the result of your actions. You know, if you you did this. You did this. You did this. <laughs> You know, you should, you should, like, you should see it. And I think it's fun and cool anyway. Like, I just, I like doing that because I'm kind of a gross person. So, it is. Um, yeah. It also really helps, like, set the scene for your players. Hey, do you want an example from the game that you were not able to be in? Ooh, go on then. So, for those who don't know, um, Monday Night isn't the only D&D game that Beth is in runs. Um... It's it's both days in the weekend actually that you're involved. The days, right? yeah. I'm a I'm a woman of many. But games. on Sat on on Saturdays, ostensibly, you uh you DM a game, but you're having. I f- I mean I fucking try to. I fucking mm. try to. You're having uh I'm trying to think like scheduling problems. I guess yeah. Is what let's we would ca- let's call, call it, it that. Yeah. Um, so this Saturday I was like, hey. Hey you guys, because I've been like let into the Discord server for 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 uh, Beth's game. Yeah, ostensibly because like it's an ancient Two Earth game. It's like set in the past and currently in modern Two Earth. My character Azriel is supposed to be very soon learning about like his history, which includes one of the characters who's in the ancient Two Earth game. But also just because like I was like, uh, you're I wanna, curious. I That's see, fine. Yeah, I want to see yeah. you all in action. Yeah. Yeah. Especially this one friend who, like, I had heard good things about but never, like, seen play or whatever. And so and I was my, like... My best friend since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, Beth, Beth 
was not going to be there, and I was like, "Hey, do you folks want to do a one shot? Do you want to? Do you want to see some dark D and D?" Want to come around to my mum's basement? And, uh... Yeah, I, I sneaked in and assumed control. It's yeah. great. But so for this for this scenario, I decided to I decided that I was going to tell your kids a scary story and then hand them back to you. Just... Uh, I decided. To, to to bring to bring back a uh, a villain from because there's an entire abandoned dawn somber continuity where there was like the I think the first one and it was sort of like a testing ground for a lot of stuff but it's now it's like I got fed up with the idea of running two separate continuities of the same setting so now that one is like it's it's legends continuity you know yeah yeah so I, I the stuff that I like from it I like to like keep picking and like bring bring in and I was like. Oh, I really liked the arc with Dr. Avarite Avare and Dr. Eva. Also, that's a really inappropriate thing to do to a group that I've just met, so I'm going to do it. So the way this works is doc, uh, Dr. Avarite Avare is a prosthetist, a magical prosthetist, um, who he gives you, like, magical prosthetics. Like, you know, you've lost an arm, for instance. He gives you, like, uh, a, uh, a metal arm, ornately carved that is magic so that it works the way that your old arm works. If you're struggling to imagine what I might mean, um, look up... There's quite a lot of the art for the Kaladesh plane in Magic the Gathering that features like stuff like this. Um, I'm trying to think like what would be an appropriate card to, uh, to, to, to mention. Um, yeah, if you, look up, if you look up the art for Voltaic Brawler, um, then like that's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Anyway... The point is the the uh, the protagonist, the player characters, um, can't afford their medical bills because I don't know, Nestlé doesn't have socialized healthcare, I guess. And they got a break bad. Well, they're um, gonna, they're gonna so get the like, Navi oh, in the, we, in we the swamp marsh and start cooking some. Uh... They're like, oh, we can't afford this. And Doctor Avare is like, well, I could waive the fees for you if you do a job for me. And so instantly, the thing that I really loved about this is that you have an excuse to say the unifying concept for all of your player characters is that each of you has a disability involving a missing or damaged body part. And I thought that the, they were actually like really cool about that because um, I think two of the players chose missing limbs, uh, one of them was missing an eye, and one of them had lost both ears in an incident that she apparently wouldn't talk about, especially if you asked if it involved like the mob. Because it's like, how do you lose both ears? The mob. Like, one ear is like, okay, you know, maybe there was an industrial accident. But if you lose both ears and nothing else, it's like, no, somebody cut those off. It's the mob, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that happened. So I'm like, okay, you're all playing disabled characters. That's fantastic. You know, we don't get to do that very often. And also I get to, like, give you slight mechanical penalties on, like, specific things. Um, And so he, like, gives them, like, these really, really basic, like, shitty prosthetics. Like, you know, you get, um, like, if you're missing an arm, you get, like, uh, an arm that's, like, two sticks and then three fingers. Like, just the, the grasping pads that you see on some basic robots. Yeah. That sort of thing. And then in, then he's like, okay, so I used to have this ex um, called Dr. Eva. We're not going out anymore because she uh, decided that she was, she didn't like ethics, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's always going to be a bummer in a relationship. Mm. Oh man, I, I used to really love my girlfriend, but then she decided that like malpractice, medical malpractice, was this really fun and mm. cool thing to do all the time, and I was like, she started, oh, she honey. started making like yeah, it's like she started making weird 
biomechanoids out of people without their consent. So I've been like sending groups of adventurers usually in the same position as you to try and take her down, but it hasn't worked yet. Yeah. Anyway, the point is like they go to this island in the south and they find that Dr. Eva has been naughty. Yeah. She's been doing a malpractice. <laughs> she yep, did a, she did a malpractice. And she's been making like horrible biomechanoid monsters out of people um, based on her idea that like you give a person a prosthetic and that's that's still a person, you know? There's a person with like a mechanical leg or foot or whatever, but it's still a person. And you do it again and that's still a person. And you do it again and okay, they're a bit bashed up, but that's still a person. And then she's like, how far can we go here? And the party are like, mm, no, that's not a thing that you should be trying to find out. <laughs> Especially when like you've turned people into like horrifying monsters. Basically, um, if you do like a, a Google image search for phyrexia with a PH and a Y, um, then then you might get 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 uh, get an idea of what what she's doing. But one of the first things that the players encountered was uh, these little like spider like robots with humanoid heads as like thoraxes, which is like creepy, right? This is a very I was like I was like basically copying stat blocks from uh, the monster manual and the uh, cobbled breast tome of beasts and just being like okay, and you fight this, but instead of being the thing that it is, it's like. A horrible fusion of like flesh and 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 metal and when because these things attacked in a group because they weren't very strong i think they had like cr half um whenever like one of the barbarians would like bring an axe down on one of them i like described oh yeah you just like crunch the like the head apart like a like a ripe watermelon and now uh -huh. there's like like your axe is covered in brain matter that's just like dripping off it stringily and stuff like that so to come round very circuitously to the point, that sort of stuff can really um, embellish the combat for your players because you describe, like, I think generally just, unless it's like a really, unless it's uh, a singular strike, uh, only a describe like, a strike. <laughs> but, um, but if you do that, like, you, you, you really sort of drive home the whole, like, yeah, and, and you're killing these things. Yeah. This you know. thing is dead. It's done. We're, we're done here. Yeah. Mm. So that that brings that that kind of I think has discussed everything I wanted to do about spicy combat. But let's talk about how you know in D and D you're all a bunch of murder hobos. You're all it's true. you're all murderers. It's generally three greasy mur like the, cl the classic D and D group. The idea of what D and D normally is is you know three greasy murder hobos and the bard who has also done a lot of murder, but he's not like he looks at he's he's a bit. He's a bit sexier. Mm. That's that's the difference. He's a sexy murder hobo. Yes. But now in new D and D, well, it's, everyone it's, it's everyone like... can have insane high charisma. So it's like everyone's a sexy murder hobo. So it's, it's, it's like murder, sexy murder, murder, but also unmurder sometimes, and uh -huh. murder but with magic. Murder. But like with that's magic. that's that's your adventure party right there. I think. Yeah, and then it's like welcome, welcome to the D and D group. It's it's always. You know, D&D, one of its main problems really is, up until, I guess, inspiration, there's no real way to reward players for role-playing really well, and you often have to house rule stuff in order to get XP outside of that. Like, there's quest completion XP, but a lot hmm. of the time... I think, like, other uh, editions have also been, like, pretty fluid about the idea of awarding XP for things that aren't combat. Yeah. And indeed... I think in first edition you didn't get XP from combat at all. 
XP was treasure. Like, you literally yeah. got XP from acquiring the rewards of Dungeoneering. Yeah. Which was fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, which and is And I'm so glad they stopped doing they that. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like, you know, the, the, the classic idea is kill a monster, get XP, kill a monster, get XP. And a lot of the time it's like this in um, role-playing video games as well. It's something that's carried over. Like, there's no... There's no reward really for you know you know like in Dragon Age Origins if you side with the werewolves or you side with the Dalish elves or if you do it peacefully there's no real like apart from story reward wise it's like this like you complete the quest either way there's no way you can't you know Mm. and you get the XP anywhere you know and you you fight a boss fight like it's it's this it's the same shit it doesn't matter really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all you did was you role played it differently which is like a lot of the time in dungeons and dragons you're not re- you know there's no real incentive to rp good the incentive is to complete mm. goals and stuff you know and it, it isn't really until inspiration has been introduced that like oh you know oh, i made the dm cry now i get an advantage the next time i need it you know it's like you know but wouldn't that be so much better if it's like hey <laughs> Just in the back of the player's manual, if it was like, if you make your DM cry, you get 100 XP automatically. Like that. I think, okay, so here's the thing. First of all, I think I disagree. Um, no, I yeah, but, yeah. Prior editions have actually, like, canonized the idea of rewarding your players for role-playing well. No, well, yeah, yeah, but... Definitely. Yeah, like, definitely. Maybe AD&D was like, yeah, you can do it if you want, but it's not really what we're here for. But I think that, yeah. like... This is a problem I've never really actually read a source book for either. But given the way that DMs play and how... The conviction with which uh, DMs for 3.5 and 3rd edition and I guess nobody talks to people who play 4th edition. Someone, find people who play 4th edition, talk to them. They exist. I know that they do, but we don't don't speak to them. Anyway, but like... (laughs) The blood traitors. I believe that those that those like source books for like three point five at least would be like hey, you could like totally give XP or like some sort of boon to your players for role playing well if that's the sort of thing that you want to um, encourage and here are some like guidelines for doing it. Inspiration, I think, is the first time that a non I don't want to say the first time that a non XP methodology has been canonized as a way of doing that because the reason inspiration exists is because in the system that fifth edition sets up it's inappropriate to reward xp for that yeah and like i agree with it the way they've done it in fifth edition because i think and as well not everyone is as good as role-playing um stuff as everyone else some people are very adept at getting very good emotional responses out of other people because they've known them for longer or just because they know oh this is this is we've been doing this for a while and it's you know like if someone joined our Monday games tomorrow and role-played it and had a big scene, it wouldn't have a big emotional reaction on me as, say, Maxie and I doing a big scene. That's going to have, like, because I've known Maxie for quite some time now. Or, like, you doing a big emotional scene. I'm like, yeah, this this is having more of an impact on me. Whereas if it was someone who literally just joined the other day and is playing a character yeah, we don't I mean, really know like- yet. You like, know. Like it, it, I think it depends because the reason that we can do that together is because we're very in tune with each other on like on account of having known each other for a long time. Mm. Which is one of the ways that you can get very in tune with people. I won't say that it's the only way. Um, and so because of that, we... Like, I hesitate to say that we know how to press each other's buttons because <laughs> I mean do that a little in more bit. than one way. 
Like, I mean that in the way that is relevant to this conversation, but there's also another way that you know about. Yeah. Um, that definitely all three of the mentioned people <laughs> do. We love, but we the all... point is, um, what do you mean, well? It's you know. Like, mm. You know. Uh, the point is, like, like um, yeah, the, the, that's like one of the ways that you can achieve that. And I think that really helps if you're a DM who was previously stingy about using inspiration and you're like, oh, I want to use inspiration more. And you like start like actually giving it out. Um, used to be that neither of us really gave inspiration ever. Yeah. And honestly. then I was like, really, this is such a core tenant of fifth edition's mechanics well, as well. I looked at it and I was like, this isn't, this isn't strictly speaking necessary, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not really a core thing. But on the other hand, when it comes to tools for rewarding, rewarding roleplay, especially from like players who maybe like don't take a, a, a front seat all of the time, because I think that's one of the things that it's very helpful for is that yeah. if there's, if there's like a, an incentive for participating to the best of your ability, in like the the role playing aspect of the game, players who might otherwise be pushed to like the back of the of the party because they're not because they're not drama kids, I guess. Yeah, or you know they're just a bit quieter in general. Or yeah. I mean, we had this conversation. I don't know how much we can say about it here because Kay's not really here, but Kay raised like was like we were just like talking in general. Like, you thought, oh, I just feel like I'm interrupting sometimes. I'm like, no, you're, you're never interrupting. No, you're a you, member yeah. of our group. And... You are a participant and it's important to us to know about, I mean, we've talked about other people in the group on the yeah. podcast before. It's fine. But yeah, saying like, you know, we don't, we don't, that's not the, that's not the point. The point is that like, we want your character to participate, especially because if one character, like one or two characters just like take over the entire thing, it's not actually fun. And they begin to outstrip you if you start using like, things like inspiration like rewards so inspiration i think is a great idea for like a player to look and be like i could have inspiration right now and i don't and i don't have to do a massive amount to get it i just have to be engaged and involved and my character needs to have some sense of agency in what we're doing during like downtime moments where we're talking to each other Mm. Which and is I, weird because yeah. I feel like in our games that's not even downtime anymore. It's like important plot progressions. It is, yeah, and it's 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 like, you know it's one of those things where I just think it's it's like, a really when 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 was the last time we fought anything in your game? Um, it was a couple of sessions ago, wasn't it? It might it have was, been Maribel. Yeah. It would it would be Maribel, yeah, and that's because yeah. I was like, well, this this is downtime, but to me, downtime is. I mean, it kind of is downtime because you were modelling it off the Hot Springs episode that's like anime, the anime yeah. trope, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but on the other hand, as a pair of sessions, it was actually incredibly important for, at the very least, Azriel and Coslin. Yeah, and, th- th- you know, like, we can definitely... I think downtime is its own separate episode to discuss and stuff like that. Hmm. But, like... But it... the point is, even in combat... He- like, like the I, I'm enjoying the idea that, like, D&D can not just be a combat focus game because yeah. it always has been slightly more than that and the idea that it's like stepping into the idea of 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 being more than that is is great to me because it's like it shouldn't really come to any to any surprise as any, as it shouldn't really come as any surprise to the people listening to this show about the shared narrative style of playing Dungeons and Dragons that I am not a fan of the 
very crunchy uh, dungeon crawl traditional Gygaxian like system. Yeah, and neither, and it's neither not, am I to be clear. It's either. not. It's not. It's not just that. Like I find it boring. It's that I think it's fundamentally flawed as a concept because it sets up a very oppositional relationship between the players and the DM, which is a fiction. It's a complete fantasy because yeah. the DM is in control of everything. Well, you can't you can't have a game of D and D where the players fight the DM because the DM can literally invent the concept of super tetanus for some reason. Can you tell that there's a, like a specific scenario that I'm like really irritated about? Or like <laughs> yeah. just say, okay, rocks fall, everyone dies. Like if the DM actually wants to kill the players, the rule set that the players are working with is entirely insufficient for the DM achieving that goal. Like, they'll always win. So, at some point, you have to admit that Dungeons & Dragons is a collaborative experience. Mm. That the DM wants to include, like, challenge for the players because the surmounting of the challenge cements the deservedness of the ending. But also that the DM wants the players to surmount that challenge. Exactly, yeah. Because otherwise, it's like, why why would you not just kill them? You can do it. You're literally... It's like... I know JRPGs love the idea of like a bunch of middle school students banding together to kill God. Yeah. But that wouldn't actually happen. Like God can just be like, no. And similarly in <laughs> no. in your world, like, DM can just be like, if I want to kill you, it's going to happen. I mean, no, normally in a JRPG, I think it's someone will ascend to Godhood and they're like yeah. a bad person and they're like, oh no, this can't happen. Mm. Tidus but or still, like... Noctis, wh- 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 whatever the new twink. Mm is in the Final Fantasy franchise. I think it's Noctis. I think Noctis is the new the, the new so, um, anime as an, boy. Yeah. As an example, um, recently for my Tuesday game, um, we did this thing called Vignettes, which are basically, you forgot to have a session zero, and as it turns out later, having a session zero was really fucking important. So here is, in lieu of session zero, um, character motivation cementing, like, scenes... Where you would have a level one or whatever version of like one of the player characters, and then the other players would play surrounding characters in a formative narrative for them. And we're getting maybe kind of off topic here, but I want to talk about the vignettes because they work really, really well, and I think that they can help a lot for mm. for for people who are in like a similar position where your players come to you and you're like. Your game's good, but we're bored with our characters because they have no motivation or connection to yeah. like the place that they're in. So um, the idea was that you would have the central character and then you would have the other surrounding characters and I would get, hand out... I, I would let the, the other players make make characters as like... They would be like one-shot characters, but even less because the vignettes are shorter. And then I would hand out roles to them, which are like typed up this is a character that needs to exist in this story to push it on. You you play that role as your character. And if you don't like that role, I'll give you another one. There are a certain limited number of them. And for named characters, that was slightly different. Like in one of them, um, ahead of time, we established that one of the players was going to play like the, um, the, the old like tutor. Like one of the one of the player characters was a uh, is is a, a fighter, like a battle master who used to be a professional wrestler. Which, in setting, is a thing that can happen. There's a specific place that you can come from if you want to be a professional wrestler that has a professional wrestling league. We've talked about it before. And 
the idea is that he is the he's an adventurer now because he's the third of his name he's the third uh, golem the first golem was an adventurer who had a friend who was a wrestler and when he died the wrestler guy was like well i can't i can't do adventuring but i can continue the legend of of the the golem as this like warrior of justice in the ring and then when he gets too old he like passes the, the title on but he's like well, this new guy, he could totally be an adventurer. He could, like, do that, and he should. So the 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 role that he was given was encourage the third golem to, like, go out and be an adventurer and, like, mm. actually do this stuff. But the I'd... rest of it was just a wrestling match, and that was yeah. great. Didn't the second golem, like, die tragically in the third golem's, like... Like, it's like a true, like, superhero oh, yeah. origin story. Yeah, he had a heart attack. That was not on the roll card, by the way. That was just something the player decided to do, and I was like... All right, yeah, you can do yeah, that. Good. Like he, yeah, like he asked yeah, me ahead of yeah. time, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. If, if you want to do that, I think, because obviously you kind of have to check with the, the player whose vignette it is as well, but I was like, I feel like he'd probably be okay with that as, as like a dramatic moment. And so they, they did it, and it was cool. Yeah. The one that um, I guess is the most relevant as a vignette is the most recent one, where I was like, okay, so this Dragonborn is an anarchist, and he comes from like an anarchist commune of like dragonborn who want to be treated better by elves and the idea is that they get fucking raided um by like the cops and there was this fight where i was like okay so the the player character has to survive everybody else has to die which means that as a dm i'm like okay i have these three groups of slightly over leveled fighters and I can continue throwing combatants at this combat until everybody with the player character dies. And I can just do that as a DM. There is nothing stopping me, which is why I think, ultimately, the oppositional style of dungeon mastering does not work at all. You can't. Like, that worked for story reasons. If I were doing that normally, as just like a, a means of just be like, okay, well, I, I could just spawn more overlords. I could just like like create a whole load of, of combative entities and just kill the players if I actually wanted to. And it's like, if you don't want to do that because you think, well, no, that's bullshit. It's like, okay, you're not actually an oppositional DM. There's, there's a level on which you want your players either to succeed or to earn success, which is not oppositional DMing. So, I mean, I, can, I guess I can kind of see oppositional DMing if you like stick to the script entirely when you're running like a pre-made adventurer but then are you actually a dm hmm. you know whatever you, if you're a dm and a rock falls and no one dies were you ever really a dm i know that wasn't uh, what you were saying. yeah like i i know what you were trying to do there i don't know necessarily that it worked uh yeah it didn't didn't work not a good joke not not okay. not my finest our, um, yeah. So I think we've kind of discussed that topic. So let's talk about how scary magic is in D and D. Oh yeah, you wanted you to talk about just, scary magic, didn't you? You can just fucking incinerate five guys with a fireball. What the fuck? <laughs> you can just point at someone and they die. That's scary. You, as a bard, you could just be like, your fuck, your ass looks big in that, and they're dead. You can like, you can kill like. At any point, any if a bard really wants to, they can kill a random villager or civilian because, like, they're like it's not, mm. it's not really that high in terms of like, yeah, 
hit point, you know, like, and you're just like, oh, shit, well, I, I guess they're dead now. Like, you vicious mockery them to death, I suppose. I, you know. It's like that- the, the fucking, like, rap battle parody video, except the, the guy who got dunked on just dies at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, it's one of these things. Magic is, like, this incredibly powerful source in, you know, D&D. It's, it's, it's hugely destructive. Um, and also hugely useful. And I mean, I I think we may have touched upon this in the magic episode a little bit about like, you know, what, you know, how magical is your setting? Are you a low magic or a high magic setting in a setting that did, has yes. magic? Um, you know, and I, I suppose for both Dawn Somber and Two Earth, we're relatively high magic setting. Like nobody, uh, really, yeah. we don't really consider like, Oh yeah, someone could, people going to just shoot fireballs out their hands. The only reason why like arson isn't like a huge problem in the city of Gloriana is all of the wizards have decided I'm not going to kill a lot of people. But then doesn't this run into mm. central conflict with the idea that all like any of these dungeons and dragon things are always going to be incredibly violent anywhere? Like what is to stop a wizard from just being like, yeah, let's just kill a whole bunch of people. Hopefully, your player will know that that's not fun. <laughs> but th- there is nothing stopping all of the wizard players out there just fireballing key NPCs mm. whenever they feel like it. Whereas in Dawn Somber, the reason is uh, disinterest. Because it's like, okay, magic is like programming in, in Dawn Somber. Yeah. All the, uh, there's a whole load of magic that's free and open source and that you can learn rel- relatively cheaply. Lots of wizards share around their magic, and most of the population is not fucking interested. Yeah, because <laughs> they're not. Because you you could you could become like a fairly competent hacker right now if you wanted to. That's true. Yeah. Like like pretty much any of you. Yeah. But you fucking don't because you're like oh Why? I'd have to like work at that though. Yeah. And so it would be <laughs> sure, like you're totally mo- right. most of the things yeah. Like, mo- most of the things that I'd be doing that would be profitable, not all of them, but most of them, would be, at the very least, legally grey. And it's like, eh, I don't... I would rather do a thing that I already know that I am good at and make money. Yeah, you're right. Shit, like, yeah. that's fair, Like, maybe we're going into a bit of a motivational part of the episode. You can basically start learning to do anything you really wanted to start learning for a really long time. Like, hmm. you, you... Like... You know, if I really put my mind to it, I could probably get super into, like, drawing anatomy in a really detailed way and draw really hyper-realistic. I don't really want to, though. I don't really care about that. If I really wanted to, I could probably get into sound engineering. But I don't know. I don't really, I don't really know where to stand. Like, I'm like, not really bothered. People, people like, would say, well, you can't have, like, open magic in, like, a fantasy setting because then that makes the setting inherently high magic. And I'm like, yes, it does. And like, well, because... Everybody would just learn this technique that allows them like near unimaginable power, and I, as a computer scientist, look at the world that exists and be like, "No, they wouldn't." In fact, because that like is boring and takes effort. But you could do. <laughs> you could. You absolutely could, and like that's why I don't find it particularly a problem that in Dawn Somber there's no like low magic um, restriction. Because like there doesn't need to be one because the thing that you're afraid about happening wouldn't actually happen as long as there is any effort whatsoever involved in learning magic they would not like you would not have a massive boom of people becoming like mega powered wizards. I've hinted that like 
there's a certain amount of like um, Weasleys at the Burrow level of like baseline magic that a lot of people learn. Yeah. Just to like make their life slightly easier. But it's not on the level of like everybody is say like a level four wizard. Yeah, but it it's, like, it's like everybody knows a little bit of coding. Like that's not like that's going to become really normal. Yeah, it's like, and also like even if you don't know coding, like I think pretty much everybody in the future is going to be able to at least stumble through like the CSS to make a Tumblr theme not look shit. Yeah, like I know that the evidence out there at the moment suggests that this in fact will not happen, but something <laughs> is happening. Something will, you know, yeah. and that's just like a, a normal thing. Like, and I think versus my setting where magic is like this incredibly commonplace, and the idea is people kind of just don't do that because. I mean, I guess, like, I'm going to be boring here. Law enforcement is a big deterrent to why most crime doesn't happen. Let's be honest, most of us don't commit crime because we know we'll go to prison. Mm. And also, hurting people isn't very nice. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's you know, like, I don't it's, commit it's a murder like, because, one, yeah, I don't think I'd get away with it. And two, I don't want to murder anyone. That seems really mean. There's no one I want to kill right now. So, like, why yeah. should I? So I'm not... those two things, you're like, well, the, the prospect of, of doing a murder is not very attractive to me currently. Exactly. Because I don't... I don't is it, that's, that's not a thing on the behalf of which I want to have to deal with the concept of being like having the attention of law enforcement. Yeah. And sometimes those same people are like, there are other things that I am cool with like having to tangle with the cops over yeah. if like I believe very strongly in that thing. Yeah, but most like, of the time it's like, well, no, I don't, I want to, don't want to just murder someone. You know, it's like most of us are like, yes, I would probably defend myself, and if I ended up killing someone, that's awful and tragic, but that's something I'd be willing to deal with the consequence of because I feel my actions are justified. But most of the yeah. time, you're like, murder is wrong. Why, why should I kill another person for no reason? I don't. Mm. <laughs> that just seems mean, yeah. you know. And yeah, so for the most part, the reason why people in Two Earth don't just like bless random people in the street with fireballs or kill random people with vicious mockery is because it's wrong. And also the cops will come after you. The, the wizard police will come after you, you know? Yeah. You know, Aldous Lilyhammer, he's got a lot on his plan. He doesn't need you fucking fireballing people randomly. And when you do start fireballing people randomly, that's what makes you a villain in the Two Earth setting. That's suddenly you're a bad guy because you decided mm. to, I don't know, murder people for, like, no real reason. Like, you know. Whereas, like, you know, if you're doing it to defend yourself, like, killing goblins is fine because the goblins attacked you first. You know? Mm. But maybe killing defenseless goblins, that's a bit mean. Maybe don't do that. You know? It occurs to me that, like, throughout a lot of the conversation that we've been having previously, I sort of danced around this as a justification for a lot of things and never actually explicitly said it. Uh, so I should maybe, like, say this so that people aren't, like, confused about why I'm being cagey about it. Um, fifth edition does not require you. And I think previous editions... Maybe fourth edition was into this. I feel like previous editions sort of, like acknowledge that you might want to do something different with regard to level progression but never actually like laid out what that could be mm. fifth edition very explicitly says that if you don't want to use progressive xp to level people up you do not have to yeah you can give players xp for completing milestones as opposed to like combat uh instancing as i believe what the kids on the street call it yeah, but I'm not going to call it that because that reminds me of instancing in MMOs, which is not <laughs> what not that's about. Thing, like, yeah. That's not the same thing, so I don't, I don't get that. 
Or you could literally just say, like, I have an expectation that you will level up at the end of this particular story arc or at the end of this particular session. The Adventure Zone does it by arc, which is actually, like, for the structure of the show, probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, Critical Role, I believe, does it invisibly, but because that's a much longer-term thing, it's not really an issue. Uh, I think Critical Um, Role Campaign 1 is XP-based with progression, Um, mm. but Campaign 2 are doing the same thing, like, bypassing milestones, because... um, a lot of it because, of course, Ashley Johnson, who played Pike in Campaign mm. 1 and plays Yasha in Campaign 2, is away for filming a lot of the time currently because she's in this drama called Blind Spot that I don't watch. Um, mm. uh, she's away for a lot of that, so she'll be away filming a lot of the time and then she'll come back and she'll do a session. Um, most critical role fans know this, but yeah. But like basically when she was playing Pike, she was always a little bit behind and now it's just like she's on a baseline with everyone. Everyone's been past a milestone it's fine it's um, good. The, other, the other thing is uh, it is down to you as a DM whether you want the possibility of players to become unsynced XP wise to be yeah, a thing I which generally you have to like accept this. if you like give players XP for th- this is why inspiration is so great and I think it's also a motivation as to why we started using it because I think both of us experimented with giving players like small amounts of XP for role playing and then found that we really didn't like it yeah um I I fucking hate having players not be on the same XP level, um, largely because, especially when you're running a remote game, that's really difficult to keep track of. Because players will forget to update their XP on their sheet, and you won't have like a centralized like XP tally for every everyone because that's just very difficult to t- like to keep track of, especially when you don't have access to your players' character sheets. So. I think it's yeah. much easier to do in like a, a in person like a meat space game to like you know maybe um, control who has a certain amount of XP, but also it's just leveling up takes time. It and does. It the, helps if yeah. everyone can like do it at once. I think I would in the I think in the next two Earth campaign, which is now forming in my mind a little bit, I would probably do instancing. I'd probably do the passing the milestone thing just because. Honestly, as well, it's the grind of battling and stuff like that and being like, oh, these guys are going to get fucking wiped if they enter this boss fight at level three. So I need to get them to level five. How do I get them to level five? And the answer is throw them into situations where they do a lot of really shit like combat scenarios so they can just keep getting a little bit more of XP each time. And that's really frustrating, I think, and it's not fun, really. The grind isn't really fun, and I think we know grinding in RPGs, whether it be tabletop or mm. video games, aren't fucking fun. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's not. It's especially, like, like if you do it in, like, an MMO or something, sometimes you can just be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off and go. Okay, um, I'm gonna talk about Dark Souls for a bit. Sure. I'm sorry. I, I do apologize to, to everybody involved. I don't mind grinding in Dark Souls. I absolutely do not mind doing it. Well, I I, I um, like doing it in Persona Five because they've made it fun. That's you know. Well, here's the thing: like generally speaking, in every single Dark Souls game, there will be a point where I am. It's very funny that usually it helps if the player is human for this because this, I think it's quite co- probably the closest that you get to going hollow, where you're running around the same area again and again and again, killing the same five enemies dressed as some sort of funhouse mascot. Because I'll be wearing the like the symbol of avarice, which is like an enormous like mimic head, because it boosts the number of like souls you get from things, and a couple of like weird rings, and basically no armor in order to like 
increase the speed at which I run. I just run around and I kill these same enemies and I grind. And that's fine. Because I'm like, oh, I want to get to a certain soul level so that I can like get to a certain build before I take on this monster. And I don't have a problem with doing that on my own at all. Bloodborne, I only play on stream, and I am very conscious that the times that I have to grind in Bloodborne, I'm like, this is really boring TV. <laughs> this is not a good stream to watch. So I want to try and limit that as much as possible, which makes Bloodborne a much more difficult game. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing, is that as soon as you start involving other people who like have to be involved and aren't as... Like, you can just turn yourself off if you do it in, like, Dark Souls or an MMO or something. You can just be like, okay, I'm going to do this for, like, a few hours and maybe, like, listen to some music and, like, you know, just just do that. But if you're in a tabletop role-playing game, you can't you can't turn the other people off. You can't yeah. just say, oh, I'm going to go away and, like, grind for a bit. It's like everybody else has to come along with you and help. And it's going to be a boring experience because you are talking to each other to progress the game. So it's not as even as if you can all just, like get to grinding and be like oh hey so like did you did you watch scandal last night i don't watch tv i'm sorry does anyone watch scandal but anymore like, what's the what's the hot tv show right now i mean like game of thrones is still on right yeah but not at the minute what's the hot tv show right now what, what are all the kids watching i don't i don't know i don't watch tv i don't watch a lot of tv anymore I was going to say I don't have a TV. I have, like, there's literally a television sitting right in front of me. It's connected to my PS4. I don't have a TV license, which is an important distinction. Okay, okay, okay. Atlanta, apparently. Atlanta. It's got Donald Glover and the Keith Stanfield in. Um, Counterpart has J.K. Simmons. Black Lightning. I've been watching Black Lightning. That's that's good as fuck. I've heard Black Black Lightning's quite good. Um, uh, I feel like Jones. we're sort of over-laboring the point here because that's not really the, the, the thing. No, the point no. Is you can't, yeah, yeah. It's, you I'm can't, just saying, like, did you watch Black Lightning last yourself. night? Oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah, well, because you're then interrupting the grinding because you're like you're using the, the tool that you're using to progress the role-playing game for talking about watching Black Lightning. It's like the, the tool is your voice. You have to be engaged at all times, and that is why grinding is boring. <laughs> So it, it's not it's not like like in a video game where you can just be like okay I gotta I gotta grind for a bit and that's not super great but whatever I'll just like yeah. I'll just robotically go through these motions with my fingers on a controller and I'll listen to a podcast what what am I what what are the D and D shenanigans that my favorite Michael boys are up to now or whatever yeah so I think as a DM you really have to acknowledge that grinding is not they have tried to remove like grinding as a concept yeah but also like grinding is not a thing that your players will want to be doing. Mm. I mean, definitely as a DM, most of the time grinding is introduced in a way where it's like, here's a side quest, but mm. that's not always going to work because maybe you've got like a really pressing issue to get to. Maybe you have. Maybe you know, you it's send like your players on all like, of these like fun side quests where they might have like a really good time and not be bored about grinding. But unfortunately, there's a very, very strong sense of imminence and importance to the thing that they are supposed to be doing in the quest you don't want to send them on yet because they're not high level enough. Maybe, for instance, somebody is having something done to them that means, if they were in real life, they would die in three days. And you don't know where they are and you have to like go and find them before that happens, except you can't because the DM won't let you because you're not high enough level. Yeah. Maybe so... I'm projecting a bit, you know, maybe. So, um... I'm just gonna go cry for a bit. Uh, um. It's it, it's a mistake actually that I think both of us have made as DMs at one point. It's yeah. like you can't 
if you're gonna if you're gonna do i'm sort of gonna segue into this via grinding because it's not really relevant but we can we can say it. i don't think it'll fit anywhere else yeah don't introduce overarching plot elements that don't have a time limit on them if were that thing to happen in real life it absolutely would have a very short time limit on it yeah i mean obviously i know that there are in plot reasons why it's fine to take your time with it but at the same time it's still a really cruel thing to take your time with because while Valandir won't die because he's being artificially kept alive and extended, um, we're still like fucking. <laughs> this is the thing, right? Valandir is uh, one of the player characters' brother and the other player, another of the player characters' lover, mm. which means that at the very least, those two characters are not allowed to have fun until he is rescued. Like, yeah, because which really fucking sucks. Because um, if you if your brother slash boyfriend were like kidnapped and you found out by remote scrying that he was being slowly vivisected and having all of like his internal organs taken out you wouldn't just be like oh well we got to do something about that but in the meantime let's go to fucking therapy island and also have a fun time with pirates you'd be like no shit we have to fix this now Uh, yeah even if like it, it turned out that actually the person who was doing the vivisecting was quite interested in keeping him alive and as such like he wouldn't fucking die if you left that yeah but it's still a really hard because like obviously even if you were like oh they won't die but they're still being tortured all the time you'd be like i obviously want to stop the torture happening it's still yeah like you know if you care about someone or even just basic humanity you don't want to you know and i understand that but and at I the same think, time i'm like i think also is we as dms particularly us in the shared narrative because like we don't like, a TPK is, like, a terrifying thing, especially since, like, it might happen when it's not justified by the narrative. It is, I think, absolutely okay and sometimes required, if you've made a fuck-up like this, to allow your players to bounce off a combat that is too hard for them. Because yeah. there's just as much narrative value in them... Okay, so you know the first time when um, Luke Skywalker goes to Cloud City to fight Darth Vader? Yeah, and gets us, yeah. And you and you know how he's like tragically underleveled, yeah. And he hasn't like finished his training yet, and he gets his ass kicked, yeah. Right, like that. That happens. That's the that's the whole. Like, that's the end point of the Empire Strikes Back, where like it's the whole like I am your father thing and whatever. Yeah. I'm very sorry, by the way, if you haven't seen this film from like the late seventies and early eighties, and yeah, you spo- didn't, and you spoilers, somehow didn't spoilers, know. Darth Vader is Luke uh, Skywalker's yeah. father. But, like, he goes and he does that, and that is an incredibly formative moment for him as a character, is that he tries to go, and it's portrayed as foolhardy, but not necessarily incorrect. Like, Yoda's, like, um, maxim that he should stay there and, and, and visit his like finish his training while his friends are, like, being tortured and captured and killed is, like, the whole reason that Luke is a new Jedi is that he doesn't do that. Like, he, he's not keyed into the whole, like... Yodite Jedi like philosophy that caused the collapse of the Old Republic. Yeah, it's important to him as a character that even though he failed, that failure and the fact that he went to attempt to achieve that is important. So sometimes you're going to build a combat that is too hard for your players, and sometimes you just got to let them let them do it. And I think a lot of the time, if you're worried about that, then before that, you should make it clear to your players that it is okay to run away. It is. Yeah okay to escape a combat that it turns out is like too hard for you because i think players sort of get it into their heads that because a lot of the time you kind of forget to make that happen for monsters 
it's like once you're locked in a combat you've got to somebody's got to finish it like everybody on side a or side b is going to be dead at the end of it and it's like well that's not yeah. that's not how real life works like half the time people don't fight till they die at least intentionally and i think maybe it helps to like start doing that a little bit more for monsters to be like okay you get attacked by like a group of bandits these bandits want your money or like your valuables or maybe to like take you as slaves but ultimately they're not their lives invested in that concept yeah as as soon as it becomes clear that you have the like actual capacity to output death against them they're probably going to reconsider how invested they really are in this concept of fighting you. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, like, a, a good way of always doing that, like, if you take the bandit captain down, normally that's a pretty good marker of, like, mm. oh, you took down our biggest guy. Right, okay. Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah, that's but normally, it could like, also be, like, literally the first bandit who dies, where, like, the rest of them realise, oh, shit, we could get killed doing this. Yeah. Which was maybe, like, not a thing that they would initially have thought of, because they're like, oh, yeah, these are easy marks, we can just, like, rough them up a bit. There was actually this really good moment in, uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you because I know you're working your way through it, but in the second campaign of Critical Role, they, they get accosted by mm. bandits who presumably want to steal their valuables. Um, and they manage to, you know, basically I think like two of the bandits side, but the other two make it away by surrendering and stuff like that. And they go, okay, right, now give us your money and gold. And they're like, oh, and the bandit's like, oh, okay then. Oh, so they just like leave them naked in the middle of the road. But it's like, that's a, a point, you know, like that makes mm. a sense. And it that... establishes to your players that like there are outcomes to combats other than side A or side B, or yeah. maybe side C, if it's like a three way thing, yeah. dies. Like, there could be times, and then your players won't have a problem with this idea of, oh, why the hell do we all like wipe on like this combat they can be like oh it made narrative sense for us to come and try and do this combat but we were not strong enough and we failed yeah and that's okay we have to go away and become stronger and you could maybe allow them like a partial victory you know in darkest dungeon when you have to flee because you know that your party's going to get wiped you still get to keep all of the stuff that you picked up yeah like maybe have it be like that like you'd still be like okay we got this far we can't really go this further without like upgrading but for instance we got to rescue Valandir but we didn't get to kill the we didn't get to kill Galeth who's like captured him yeah which is probably what yeah. will happen in the aforementioned scenario when it happens I feel like I have definitely done this mistake um probably with Galliana I've like made Galliana's pursuit like a much more pressing thing and one of the upcoming like arcs the judgment arc is going to be literally like because of a mistake that's going to be blamed on the player characters that is really honestly my mistake. Um, and it's just like, oh, how how would this abandoned plot hook progress during the time that the player characters spent running away? And now it's like a completely different thing and like bad stuff happened. Oh, and interesting, yeah. it's just it's just like interesting. I don't know necessarily. I think maybe I want to make explicit to the players outside of the game that's like, this isn't necessarily your fault. Like the 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 narrative because of the way that it was set up is going to punish you for what you did, but it wasn't necessarily wrong. Okay. And you can argue your case on that. Cool. Is this when we ran away in? Um, uh, it is when you ran away from Farash. Yes. Right. Yeah. I thought it might be, hmm. uh, because even at the time doing it, I was like, 
this is a really pressing issue and we're basically running away from this because it's too difficult for us to do and it wasn't even that it was too difficult it was that another threat arrived that you had to run away from yeah and so i guess because this won't probably won't go out until like the the next session has happened i guess if you've guessed it i'm free to tell you that the um the 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 villain of the arc is going to be Sigrid. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Who who used to be like like a a a friendly NPC, like an ally, and is now like really bad things have happened both to her and her people because you ran away. Yeah, and that makes sense. like that's 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 a consequence that the characters have to deal with. But the players, I think, made the correct decision at the time and said, you know, we have to. We're not strong enough to deal with this. We've got to run and do something else. And that's fine. It's like you're just making a good story together. Because that's ultimately what shared narrative is about. Yeah. you gotta you got to use the tools that you have to try and like make a cohesive narrative together. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do in Two Earth. Because for a very long time... Um, for a very long time, the character that I've been playing has been like incredibly inconsistent in his behavior. And now that I'm trying to fix that, all of the pieces are slowly falling into place on things that I'm like maybe retconning a little bit, but most of the time just explaining as to like this is why he behaved the way that he did at that particular time. Yeah. And then building out of that, this is the character that he is, and this is why he does the things that he does, and why he's like. Which is unfortunate because the character that he needs to speak to in order for this to like really come out, which I kind of want to save like that for then because it'd be like a really powerful moment isn't fucking here. And I totally forgot they said they weren't going to be there. Yeah, to so. be fair, I did as well. I was like, wait, why am I giving you mm. passive... Why am I giving you a way to get back to Gloriana when you need to just mm. go straight to, like, Koresh of Enmai? Like, that's that's where the next mm. plot bit is happening. So. So it will take a couple of sessions for that to come out, which is mm. unfortunate because, like, when I have, like, a big speech... Um, speech? Uh, sometimes a speech, but often, like, a, like a scene saved up i kind of want to do it as quickly as possible because otherwise i forget what the character's yeah. going to say yeah and that's been like in the tank for both um both uh sessions like i know what asriel wants to say to uh cassius and i know what the scene when sigrid arrives is going to be like but i worry that i will like forget those or put them in the wrong draft because it's hard to write them down because like you have to write like so many conditionals on things that the players might do or say, or that the DM might do or say. So yeah. you just sort of have to like hold it in your head, which is difficult. I wish I had a better system for that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we're coming up to like an hour and a half on the recording, and I kind of want to not have like an enormous recording monster. Yeah, I think we've we've gone off topic and then come back around to topic and then gone off topic again a couple of times. But ultimately, yeah. Um, so in conclusion. Combat in D&D is much more of like a fact of life than it is in other role-playing games. So in those role-playing games, feel free not to have too much combat in your game. In D&D, it's kind of required, but try to have some fun with it, like space it up, be descriptive about it, and accept that it's not the be-all and end-all of a game and that you can sometimes put your players up against something that they have to learn to be able to run away from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Else, yeah, yeah. I th- I think we're good. Um, obviously, if you have any suggestions for future topics of episodes, please leave them below. Mm-hmm. We always appreciate stuff. If you'd like to see an episode on something, or even if you'd like to see us come back to an episode we've done before, if you think we've missed something really key, or you'd be interested mm-hmm. to know what we think now, or if we've got anything additional to do, you know, 
how some bad appendices might have. I think the reason why I'm... S- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the reason why I'm I'm like starting to give the episodes like more esoteric names is because I think we're moving out of the like we're by and large moving out of the territory of like basic one word topics and more into because this has never really been what the podcast has been about. We go on so many tangents and even the ones that we get, yeah. like, keep in are like only broadly related to the topic at hand. So it's really it's just like us talking about this this concept and the things around it, which is kind of why I want to move away from like topic episode titles where it's like oh we're going to talk about this topic the whole time um really when we do topics they're a starting off point for where we're gonna eventually lead it's a it's a this is an extended train of thought (laughs) Hmm. podcast mostly centered around D &D. absolutely we we used to keep notes but yeah that's not really a possibility nowadays we are bringing them back i think they've helped this episode tremendously um, but yeah. Oh, I'm glad you had notes. I <laughs> had no idea where you were going. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, but I, I, do, I do sometimes like have notes for certain episodes. Um, yeah. So uh, the music was by Kevin McLeod. Um, the ah. Oh, okay. I guess there are a couple of the things. The background image behind the text. Again, I think I'm gonna stop stop announcing these um, in the podcast itself because I don't. I don't know. Well, you never know what it's going to be ahead of time. You just you pick. Well, when we when we when we first started, I would like because we were so well planned out and we had notes and whatever. I knew in advance. I like looked and I found an image that was appropriate. And for the mass episode, I always knew what the image I was going to use was going to be because I am a child who makes jokes about weird internet ephemera that no one's ever heard of. But in this case, it's like well. I have to go and look for this afterwards because that's the way the editing pipeline works now. So it will be in the description. If there's anything you can't find, look in the description first before you hit up either of us. Um, I am Cleaver Cromish on Twitter, Tumblr, and Twitch. You can like find me uh, like that. Uh, I'm not going to talk about what I'm doing on Twitch anymore, largely because right at the moment I don't know, but also because I don't know when this episode is going to be posted. I had to like cut stuff from the Matt episode because I was like, I... The, the, the stream that I've talked about starting in that episode has been finished for months now. Like, I played the whole of that game. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Beth? Um, you can find me at Baroness Banff on both Twitter and um, Tumblr. Obviously, don't really bother with um, Twitch. I don't Twitch stream anymore, unfortunately. I might get back to it one day. I'll tell you when I do. Um, mm. And I'm thinking of... Maybe just revamping the YouTube a bit, but that's my personal. I mean, YouTube. if you want to contact us on YouTube, you can literally just leave a comment. Yeah, like I'll be in the comments. I'm I'm Beth Noir on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's us. I think. Um, yeah. If you also yeah. like to read Voltron fan fiction, uh, I'm at Baroness Vamp on Archive of Our Own as well. So. <laughs> we have run out of time here, so I think it is time for Beth and I to go. Um. No idea when we'll see you next, but I hope to like get. We we won't be regular, but I hope we're yeah. more frequent. It would be nice if we could yeah. get at least yeah. one we... episode out in April. Mm-hmm. That would be good. Yeah, it. Might anyway, be we'll one. see you in September. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is an episode like I want to do like quite soon. Um, it, so I will maybe tell you the title, and uh, and you'll be confused about it. It is called uh, "Removing the Circle of Eight. Uh, so ruminate on what the fuck that might mean uh, until you die, I guess. Right then. So yes, that that was that was all. That was all I think from House of Bards. So it is time for us to go. Uh, I have been Alex, and I've been Beth.
and we will see you all next time. Whatever Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, um, alright, so here's the other thing. Um, this, I think, probably the next episode, I'll talk about this very, very soon. I have written up the scenario that we made together in the, uh, the episode Building Your First Scenario. Ooh. And I have worked to make it OGL compliant. Ooh. And I'm planning to release it um, as a pay-what-you-want thing on Itch.io with the expectation. And the problem is without releasing something on Itch.io, it's very difficult to tell how like practical this will be of splitting any of the money that we receive from that specifically with Beth. Ooh. Um, Ooh. And I will let you know when that happens. Because I think... Currently, with the exception of, like, a couple of edits, the actual thing is done. But I want, like, cover art for it. Mm. I want it to, like, like have, like, a nice, like, like a frontispiece or something. And I don't know a lot of artists, so I'm kind of in a position for that. I actually have money to spend at the moment, but I'm already, like, waiting on one artist for a commission who mainly does portraits, which is not the sort of thing that I'm, like, looking for here. If, if you... Um, do that sort of thing. Like, if you are you are an artist who can do like um, fantasy scenes to commission, um, I feel like obviously for one thing, when maybe not going to say no if you just wanted to like donate art, but also even if you would charge me for it, like actually hit us up because yeah, I at the very least want to have a conversation with you about this because yeah. I do want there to be like a nice nice image on the 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 front of of this thing. I've I've tried a couple of times myself. I thought this is not really going the way that I want it to. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would love to hear from you if you would like to uh, sell me some art to commission for for this this thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I guess like look out for that. I guess at the end of future episodes, I will tell you all about that. Um, maybe check out uh, our social media as well because I will probably like at the very least tweet about it when it's mm-hmm. done. 